strikes me this morning that you may be walking in here, maybe like I'm walking in here feeling a little, ah, a little frazzled. I don't know if your week or your morning has been that way, and I'm looking at the words of the song that we've just sung together. We've just sung the story of the gospel to each other. So let me just start a little different this morning and say, would you just pray with me now? Would you do that? Heavenly Father, we're coming into this room from all different places this morning and feeling all different things. And so I would just pray now, would you draw our hearts to you and would you speak to us through your word? Lord, we want to know you. We want to understand you. We want to... We want to live as your children. We want to claim these truths that we're singing this morning, and we want to mean them. We want it to change us, and so we ask that your spirit would do a work in our hearts this morning. We thank you for this time together to open your word and look into it, and we pray these things in the name of your precious son. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for praying with me. Thank you for being here this morning. I'm excited to continue this morning our series entitled Epic Christmas, and I'm going to apologize to somebody, but I'm really afraid I'm going to trip over one of these things this morning. So if I do and something breaks, I'm sorry, and I'm hoping I'm not the part that breaks. Okay. I'm excited to continue this morning our series called Epic Christmas, where we're talking about the story of why Jesus came into the world. But it occurred to me as I was preparing this week and as I was praying this week and as I was praying for you this week that for a number of people in this room, this is the 10th time or the 20th time or the 50-something time that you have entered the Christmas season as a follower of Jesus. For some of you, this is, this is tradition every year to enter the Advent season as a follower of Jesus is just normal. And I would say if you've been a follower of Jesus for 10 or 20 or 50 years, and praise God for that. What a privilege you have had to walk with the Lord through all of those years. And my prayer for you would be that this Christmas would be no less amazing and no less powerful than the very first time you heard the story of what Christ had come to do for you and the very first time you had heard the story of the gospel. In fact, my prayer for you would be that every year would be exponentially better for you as you spent another year following Jesus and understanding more deeply at times that we come together like Christmas and Easter and talk very specifically about what Jesus came to do, that it would be more powerful for you every time. But it also occurred to me as I was thinking about you all and praying for you this week that there are some of you in the room who are celebrating Christmas this year as a follower of Jesus for the very first time. And I, yes, I just have to say, how cool is that? How cool is that that in this room there are people for the very first time they will celebrate Christmas as a follower of Jesus in this place? How great is that? And I would just say my prayer for you this Christmas is, is that it would be the most amazing and most powerful Christmas season because you have a very fresh reminder and a very fresh understanding of what it means that Jesus came and what he came to do. And it also occurs to me that there will be some in the room this morning that are just undecided. And you may be here and 
you're not a follower of Jesus. In fact, you're not even totally sure what that means, but you're here, and so I would just invite you to listen in this morning because I think that there's something very important for you to hear this morning as we celebrate the Christmas season together. So wherever your story is, whatever you're walking in with this morning, I just want to say thank you for being here, and I've been praying for you before this morning. You may be wondering if you've been part of this series for a couple of weeks now, why aren't we just teaching through the Christmas story? Why aren't we just teaching through the gospel of Luke and learning about the birth of Jesus like we sort of did last year? That's a great question because most often we would approach a passage in the Bible and we say, what are we meant to learn from this? That's our regular approach to Scripture. But in this series, we've actually come to Scripture with a question. We're actually approaching the Bible and asking a question. Because we understand that at Christmas, we celebrate the arrival of Jesus. That much we can gather from a light-up plastic nativity on the street corner. We've heard enough of the story, no matter what our life story is, that we understand the idea of Christmas. We understand that Jesus has come. But the real power of the message is unpacked when we start to ask ourselves the question, why? Why did Jesus come? And why does it matter to us? Why do we care that he came and came as a baby? So we have the Bible and we come to the Bible and we ask the question this morning, why? And Christmas, the story of Christmas, kind of pulls back the curtain on the larger story that's being told through all of Scripture, the epic story that Christmas helps to unveil. And we're looking together at God's Word to say, what does it have to say to our question? What answer does it have to the question of why did Jesus come? And so far, we've talked about a couple things. We know that Jesus came to reveal God to the world that somehow Jesus was the fullest expression of God's compassion to his children in the world. That's part of what the story has to tell us, that Jesus was the best way that God could show to us the truth of who he is. We also learn from this story that Jesus came to conquer. You remember I gave you that rhyming phrase that try as you might, you probably can't get out of your head, Jesus frees us. Jesus frees us, but what does that mean, that Jesus frees us from the consequence of our sin and rebellion from God, and he frees us from the fear of death which Satan uses to manipulate and to control us? So Jesus came to reveal God, and Jesus came as a conqueror, and this morning we're going to look at the fact that Jesus came to redeem us, but what does that mean? I mean that in, in the literal sense. What does, that, what does the word redeem mean? You'll see it in the name of our church, Redemption Hill Church. What does redemption mean? If you were to look it up in the dictionary, not a Bible dictionary, just a regular dictionary, here's what I get. Three definitions that all apply. The action of being saved from sin, error, or evil. That's a dictionary definition of redemption. The action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment, the clearing of a debt, or the action of buying freedom. That's what it means to redeem. And so we say that Jesus came to redeem us. Jesus came to save us. Jesus came to buy us back. 
That's what we mean when we say that Jesus came to redeem. And so we come into the Advent season and we say that Jesus reveals God. And Jesus came as conqueror and Jesus came as redeemer. He came to buy back our lives that were destined for separation from him. He came back, he came to save us from the consequences of our rebellion from God because we're under his wrath, under his righteous judgment. And he came to free us from a bad place because we're in a desperate position without him. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not, it's true. That's what Jesus came to do. So if you have your Bible this morning, would you turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. And if you're not familiar with your Bible, good luck finding Galatians. If the pages of your Bible stick together, you're going to miss it. So We brought some Bibles for you if you didn't bring one this morning, and you can look around and grab one off the seats, or you can just listen along, or you can cheat off of a neighbor. If you are using our Bible, we're going to be on page 974 of the New Testament, so way at the back, page 974, Galatians chapter 4. Paul is writing to a group of believers, and he's writing to correct some incorrect behavior. These are people who have already trusted in Jesus as their Savior, But Paul is writing to correct some bad behaviors in them and really some bad thinking, some bad teaching. And in this morning's passage, he's going to reiterate exactly why Jesus came, which is really helpful for us because that's the question that we're asking in this series. Why did Jesus come? Paul answers it directly. And what he's going to say to us this morning in this passage is that Jesus came so that we could be adopted into his family. We were created for a relationship with God. We've talked about that a number of times in recent weeks. It is God's desire to have him in, to have us in his family. But our rebellion from God, our sin, have created some problems that need to be corrected before God can adopt us into his family. So read with me just these two verses, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Paul says, when the time was right, God sent his son. Now we know that Paul is talking about Jesus. We know that from the context of the letter. We know that from the context of his other letters. But just in verse 4, Paul is going to tell us three things that are true about Jesus. The first thing that he tells us that's true is that Jesus was the Son of God. This was the Son of God, not merely a man. Jesus was God's Son. Why is that important? It's kind of important for a number of reasons, but it's also important in the line of things that he's going to tell us. Because what's the next thing that he tells us? He was born of a woman. So Jesus was the Son of God, born of a woman. The Son of God, born as a man or as a human. Now you'll notice he doesn't say, born of Joseph and Mary. We know this from all the Christmas songs that we sing, the offspring of the virgin's womb. This is not the product of a human relationship. Jesus is not merely a man. He is the Son of God, placed in the womb of Mary. Pretty amazing claim. And then he says, what? Born under the law. What does that mean or why is that important? Jesus was born 
like us, like his people. He was born in their condition, under the same requirements that everyone else was under. That means that they were slaves to the law. And so Jesus was born in the same way, that right standing before God, that being right before God, like we would think of it as cleaning ourselves up to be acceptable to God, rightness or righteousness before God could only be pursued by following the law that God had given. And that any failure to follow God's law results in very specific and very regular requirements of sacrifice and repentance. That's what it looks like to be under the burden of the law. So Paul tells us that the Son of God was born as a human in our same condition. Why was he born that way? Look at the next verse, verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. See, like any adoption, and many of you in here have gone through this process of adoption before, there are some legal requirements that need to be satisfied. There's some paperwork to do in order for us to be adopted into God's family. Here's why. God's justice demands righteousness. It demands rightness before him. God's law requires punishment for sin. And God's holiness demands that sin be separated from him because God is completely holy. So what does that mean? Righteousness is required and so righteousness is pursued through the law that God has given Punishment was required, so in order to atone for sin, in order to make amends for sin, to make up for sin, what is required? Punishment. Regular punishment for regular sin. Blood has to be shed, and so we see the sacrificial system in the Old Testament to atone for sin. See, God had to satisfy both his justice and his law before he could adopt sinners into his family. And we talk about things like righteousness and judgment and justice and punishment and sacrifice all the time, and we read the Old Testament and we read the New Testament, and I think sometimes we just miss the connection between the two. There's a reason all those things are in there, because God is a holy God and a righteous God and a just God, and those things have to be satisfied. So Jesus became our righteousness Because we can't be right before God. And we can't satisfy the requirements of the law either. We were slaves to the law and we couldn't even fulfill it. And so Jesus became our righteousness by living the life that we couldn't live. And by living in perfect submission to God, by living the sinless life, Jesus satisfies the justice of God. And then Jesus took our punishment. We talk about that quite a bit. By dying the death that was meant for us because of our rebellion from God, Jesus satisfied the law. Jesus satisfied the required punishment for sin once and for all. It was done at that point. The blood was shed for the last time. So in doing so, all of that, Jesus redeems us. He bought us back. He bought us out of the bad place that we found ourselves in. Through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection, he, gave, he showed that he has power and authority over death itself. When we talked about that last week, we don't have to live in fear of death anymore because Jesus conquered that too while he was at it. Pretty great. If you are in Galatians chapter 4, turn one page to the right, I think, 
If you're using our Bible, it's one page to the right. It's really close to Ephesians chapter 2. I just want you to hear this because I'm afraid all these words can just fill up in our head and we're like, yep, judgment, righteousness, punishment, sin, blah, blah, got it. Just listen to this for a minute. Same writer, different letter. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul says, when we were in sin before Jesus, we were dead men walking. That's the picture here. Our lives were given over to the enemy of God. He says we were sons of disobedience. We were ruled by the passion of our heart or of our flesh, and we were under the wrath of God. We were deserving of punishment. But then look what comes next in verse 4. But God, God interrupts that story to tell a different story. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus." For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Because of God's mercy, because of God's love, because of God's grace, we have been saved. And our dead lives have been made alive in Christ. And our dead lives have been raised up with Christ, he says, so that God might pour his grace into us. And how did he do that? Through the person of Jesus Christ, where God has revealed his compassion for us and the truth of who he is and what he's like, revealed in the person of Jesus Christ who came and conquered death and redeems us. See, God bought us out from under the requirement of the law. God bought us out from trying to effort our way to him and try to clean ourselves up to make us right before him. And he said, I'm going to buy you back because you belong to me. God bought us out of that bad place. That's the gift that comes at Christmas. That's what we celebrate in Advent. He did all of that through the life of Jesus, through the death of Jesus, through the resurrection of Jesus. That's why we celebrate so that we are no longer sons of disobedience. We are no longer children of wrath, but we are sons of God. Do you see the difference between the two? There's a very clear before and after for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior. We are sons of God. Now, for some of you, it would register that you mean sons and daughters of God, right? That would be maybe the more politically correct way of saying it. But no, that's not what I mean. I don't think that's what Paul means. Paul means we're adopted as sons. Now, that's not very gender sensitive. And I don't think it's gender sensitive on purpose. And here's why. Paul is claiming that we are adopted into God's family with the highest possible honor. And Paul 
is speaking from a traditional culture where a daughter would be considered a second-class citizen. There are still many cultures like that today. So imagine what this sounds like to you if you live in a traditional culture and you're a daughter, you're a woman, you're adopted as a son. Tim Keller, who's smarter than me and uh, is a pastor and an author, he says it better than I can. So let me just read this to you and think about this for a minute. So when Paul says that we're all sons in Christ... He's saying that there are no second-class citizens in God's family. When you give your life to Christ and become a Christian, you receive all the benefits a son enjoys in a traditional culture. As a white male, I've never been excluded like that. As a result, I didn't see the sweetness of this welcome. I didn't recognize all the beauty of God's subversive and revolutionary promise that raises us to the highest honor by adopting us as his sons. Our adoption means we are loved like Christ is loved. We are honored like he is honored. That's what it means. So then listen to the verses in Galatians again. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, when the time was right, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Merry Christmas. I mean, does it get any better than this? Does it get any better than that, being adopted into the family of God? Why, yes, it does. You ever opened a Christmas present at Christmas, and you're getting really excited about it, and then someone's like, it's, that's not all that's, there's more in there. You're like, how, really? Can this get better? It can. Look with me at the next couple of verses, verses 6 and 7. And because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. If you've placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, if you've trusted him alone for your salvation, you are a son of God. That is a finished thing. It's done. You've been adopted into the family of God. You've been saved. You've been redeemed. You've been bought back. You've been freed from the burden of the law and adopted into the family of God. That's pretty awesome. But Paul says, wait, there's more. There's more than just that. Because you're a son, God has given you his spirit. And his spirit within us cries out, Abba, Father. It prompts us to call out, Abba, Father. Which to some of you means something and to some of you means nothing. Now, I've always been taught that Abba Father is like the way of saying Daddy, like a little child, like a toddler that would cry out to Dad. And I think that gets at the heart of what's behind this, but it's actually not the most accurate understanding of that phrase. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that it's maybe not the most accurate way for us to understand that. Perhaps a better way to understand it would be a a personal form of Father, My Father, my Father, and the Spirit of God within us prompts us to cry out, my Father, God, because we are sons. The time that we see this most clearly in Scripture is when Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion, when he cries out, my Father, please take this cup from me. Please don't make me do this, but if you do, I will submit to your will if that's what you ask And he does. 
It's not childish. It's not baby talk. But maybe he speaks to the kind of dependence and the kind of reverence that a son would have toward his father. Regardless, it's very deep. It's very personal, this expression. And God says, not only have I legally adopted you, but then I've put my spirit in you that allows you to claim me as your father, your right and true father. What Paul is getting at is that God has given us a gift through his spirit in which we are invited into intimate relationship with God. You just don't have the right documentation to get you in. You are a son, and you get all the privileges that go with being in relationship to your heavenly Father. Beyond the act of our redemption, beyond the act of our adoption, as if that weren't enough, God says, I will also give you the experience of being in relationship with me as my child. And through the Spirit, we enter into a deep and intimate relationship with God the Father. That is an amazing privilege, and I don't know that we understand what that really means, what we've been invited into. Paul says in these verses, you're no longer a slave, you're free. But you're not just free from the law, you're also adopted as sons. But you're not just adopted as sons. Beyond that, you're a full heir to the king. You get all the rights and privileges of being in relationship with God the Father which means not only do you have this deep and intimate relationship where you can cry out, my father, but you also stand to receive a massive inheritance because your father is very, very rich beyond your wildest imagination and rich in the truest sense of the word and the most right sense of the word. Rich relationship, eternal inheritance. How great is that? told you the gift gets better and better. My prayer is that over the years as you follow Jesus and as you understand the gift more and more, that it just means more and more to you as you walk with him and you wait for that time when we will be with him. Why did God send Jesus into the world? That's the question that we've asked of his word. He came to pay the price of redemption. He came to purchase us out of slavery. He came to give us freedom from the law so that we could be adopted into his family and receive a priceless inheritance. And as if that weren't enough, then God sends his spirit into our hearts as well and says, why don't we just have a great intimate relationship as father and son while we're at it? That's all. That's all he came to do, just that. Merry Christmas. It should mean something to us if we're followers of Jesus. That's why he came. That's what he came to do. If you have your connection card this morning on your worship folder, I would encourage you to take that out because the truth of what we're talking about this morning has some questions to ask of us. I think it begs some questions. If this is the gift that came at Christmas, if this is the new reality to life that was ushered in in Bethlehem on that night, here's the first question. Is it a gift that you have received? That's the first question I would ask because the gift is for everyone. God's word makes that very clear. We see God's heart very clearly 
in Scripture. The gift is for everyone. He wants everybody to be in his family. He wants to adopt everybody. So have you been adopted? That's the question. The work is done. He already did that. Jesus came, and he lived, and he died, and he rose again, and he's with his Father in heaven. That work is done. It's already finished, and so all that's left for us to do is receive the gift, to claim Jesus as the Lord of my life, to surrender my life to him and let him direct my steps. You be the boss. That's what it means for Jesus to be Lord. I'm going to give my life to you. You call the shots now, Jesus. All I have to do is believe that his death and resurrection was enough to make me right before God, and it was. Then we'll be saved and adopted into the family of God. It's pretty simple, but it's hard for us to let go. It's hard for us to surrender. It's hard for us to hand that over to him. So have you done it? That's the question. Would you like to? That's my question. Would you like to? Because I can't imagine a better Christmas present than to be invited into all the richness of relationship with your heavenly Father and then stand to gain an inheritance as an heir to the kingdom of heaven. That's pretty cool. Beyond what we can imagine. And if you'd like to do that this morning, or you have questions about that this morning, I'll just invite you to put that on your connection card this morning. I want to be a follower of Jesus. Or I have a question. Can you call me? Or I don't want you to call me, but you could email me. So don't give me your phone number. Give me your email. I'll email you. That's fine. I've got questions. I want to talk to somebody. I'm not sure, but I'm interested enough. Man, I would love to talk to you about that. Or come up to me afterward or come up to Joe afterward and talk to us. We would love to have that conversation with you this morning. And I would just say, don't walk out of the room today without making a decision about whether you're going to pursue a relationship with God or not because he's pursuing one with you and he won't stop. So the question is, will you stop and surrender your life to him? Or will you just keep going and refuse to receive the gift that was given at Christmas, which is beyond anything that you will find in this world for yourself? What about those of you who are celebrating your very first Christmas as a follower of Jesus, or your 10th, or your 20th, or your 50-something Christmas as a follower of Jesus? What's the question for you? The question is, are you experiencing the joy of being sons? Is there joy in being an heir to the kingdom of heaven in your life? Do you get it? Are you any different because of this story and because of this truth? Or in some impossible way, has this become mundane to you? Just another Christmas. Just another time to remember that God sent his son into the world, born of a woman, born in our condition to save us and buy us back. Are you experiencing joy in relationship with God who through his spirit prompts us to call out, my father, my father, my father who bought me, my father who adopted me, my father who empowers me to live a life radically different than I did before. 
And if I just look across the page from Galatians 4, I see Galatians 5, which tells me all about the fruit of the Spirit. This is what it looks like when I allow the Spirit of God to change me and transform my life. We could talk for hours about that, and I won't. I won't. But suddenly I'm free. I'm free from being governed by the passions of the flesh because Paul says, those who belong to Jesus have crucified the desires of the flesh. Those are done. Now I live a new life in the Spirit of God which he's given me. I'm free to live as one who stands to inherit the kingdom of God. That is pretty cool. I'm free to live with love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and self-control and all the fruit of the Spirit. So the question is, are these the characteristics that define your life? If someone were to watch you, would they, would they list those character qualities or would they list other ones? Anger and anxiety and lust and drunkenness. There's a whole list of them here. I could go on, but a lot of them I don't even feel comfortable saying in public. You're free from that life. You don't have to live that life anymore. You have the Spirit of God in you. So the question is, after all these years, or maybe all these months, <laughs> for some of you, do you bear any resemblance to your father? Is he changing you to look more like him? Matt Chandler reminds us that in order for good news to be good, it has to invade a dark place. It has to invade bad spaces, I think is how he puts it. Are you living like one who was bought out of darkness and brought into the wonderful light of our Savior, adopted into the family of God. Why is it so easy for us to forget that? Why is that? We were dead. We were following the prince of darkness. We were children of wrath. But God interrupted the story. And in his great mercy, he poured out his grace because he loved us. So here's the question for you. If you've forgotten what it looks like to live in the joy of salvation, or you need help, maybe you've been adopted into God's family and your life looks no different and you're living for yourself. You actually haven't surrendered your life to him. You just started to fill out some of the paperwork. You want someone to talk with you? You want someone to pray with you. You need some help, not just help so you can try harder to behave better. Help to walk in the Spirit and to live in the truth that you're free from that life. Would you put that on your card? And you can tell me the same thing. Don't call me. (laughs) Send me an email or come up and talk to me or to Joe or to someone around you. If you're in a life group, talk with your life group. Talk with your life group leader. That's why we're here to do this together because it's not easy. And for some reason, it's easy for us to forget the truth and the joy of what we remember and celebrate at Christmas. God sent his son into the world to redeem us, which is why he says in the gospel of Luke, I bring you good news of great joy, and it's for everybody, because today in the city of David is born for you a Savior, and he's Christ the Lord. Let's not forget. We have some time now. We're going to show a video in a minute, and we're going to worship together for a minute. And I would just say, 
God is working on your heart this morning. There's something you need help with, something you need prayer for, or you need to talk to somebody. Would you do that today? Would you do that? You've got some time to respond, and can I just pray for us? Heavenly Father, we know these words are true, and yet for some reason, it is hard for us to live as people who have been freed. But we know you came to buy us back. We know that you are our rightful Father, and you have paid a heavy price so that we could be adopted into your family. We thank you for sending your Son, who did what we couldn't do, so that we could be right before you, not because of ourselves, but because you gave it as a gift. And I pray right now, Father, for those of us in this room who are trying to follow after you and are really struggling, would you tug at our hearts and allow your spirit to transform us to look more like you? I pray right now for those who have accepted you and trusted you recently, Lord, that you would continue to grow them in their faith, that we would be faithful to walk alongside them. I pray for those in this room right now who do not know you as king, who do not know you as savior. And I pray for those that have turned their back on you, Lord. I pray that you would do a work this morning, that you would bring us all to our knees before the rightful king and that this would be a safe place to cry out to you, my father. We love you and praise you and thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen.